My favorite cake is today's Lecce's cake. Has anybody had that Lecce's cake before? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, I'm so sorry, you need to have that Lecce's cake. Because it will now become your favorite cake in the whole entire world. So I'm going to show you the picture so you can just see how incredible it is. This is their Lecce's cake, a little described on top. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's so, nice. so think about this. Think about little Misae. I never had a girl's first, so I was always like this big for a long time. And so imagine little Misae when he was younger, and you know, he was just doing stuff, and he would disobey his mom and dad, and every time he disobeyed, mom and dad would be like, hey, here's the Lecce's cake. And I'd be like, okay. Just imagine that. Imagine that every time I disobeyed, I got their Lecce's cake. Not only would I be like this big today, <laughs> But it would be one of those things where, where like, I would say, oh, maybe I'm doing something right, because I keep on getting rewarded with this, then it's just okay. And it would be one of those things where, though I do something wrong, I think it's right. And so it's fascinating that like, it really just doesn't make logical sense to us. It's like, why would we ever reward disobedience? Shouldn't we be obedient? And the thing is, is that you're right, is that we don't reward disobedience because that's not exactly what God does. That's against God's character, his counsel, his word all of who he is, because we see that God blesses obedience. And that's actually what we're going to see in this, in this chapter of book, in, in the book of Ezra, that God does bless obedience, and he blesses the obedience of Ezra. And I really do believe that he blesses the obedience in our life. And so that's what we're going to look in the next chapter. So if you want to go ahead and try to find Ezra chapter 7, that's where we're going to be. And so as you turn to Ezra chapter 7, I do uh, just want to say hello and good morning, and thank you once again for being uh, so gracious in being here. Uh, our AC is still out in the worship center. The park of the afforded is still not here, but we're waiting and we're going to get fixed. But I think it's just so incredible to be here, though. I think it's this moment that we're living in community where every time we come on a Sunday, it's just part of living in community together, whether we're at the worship center, whether we're here, whether we're outside of the church. Uh, so I just am so grateful for you guys. I love seeing you. Uh, and then the next thing I want to just let you know is that uh, I just want to get you excited and maybe just begin to get you excited about next month. So next month, we're actually starting another service right here on campus. And this service will be exactly what you've experienced today, except for all in Spanish. And so I just want to get you excited for that because the Lord is moving in such an incredible way in our community. And I think it's just so necessary for us to be able to communicate the greatest message in the world about the greatest king in the world in a way that people can understand and some of those people understand it in Spanish better than in English. And so uh, I just want to get you excited about that as we continue. And then I do want to enforce what Chad said in the announcements if you did it here, is that at 6.30 we do have a Family Matters. Uh, and this Family Matters is on the Uwasa campus, and it's going to be a moment where we look at our, our church and our family and we say, what does it look like for God to lead us in the next 75 years? We've seen how he's led us in the past, but how is he going to lead us in the next 75 years to accomplish the mission, the mission that God has called us to be, and how can we be the mission which God has called us to be? And so I'm just really excited about that. Uh, so have you guys found uh, Ezra chapter 7 yet? Because, you know, maybe I'll give you a little bit more, more time. So uh, let me just tell you this. We are in a series called Re-Envision. And the title of this sermon, I think, is so timely, at least in my life. And it's this, re-envision God's blessing. Re-envision God's blessing. So I'm grateful you guys are in Ezra chapter 7, and I'm glad you found it. But I do want to answer the question. I know some of you are saying, he said, did you guys read chapter 5 last week? Are we skipping chapter 6? Eh, kind of, kind of. But let me just summarize chapter 6 for you. 
So at the end of chapter 5, what we saw is this moment where the children of Israel wrote this letter to King Darius. And so we ended with this letter being sent to King Darius. And in chapter 6, we see King Darius' response. And what he does is he actually does what Israel asked him to do. He looked around the archives and he was like, oh yeah, yeah, King Cyrus, back in the day, he did decree that you guys could build the temple. So in chapter 6, he's like, yeah, go build the temple. Go do that. That's awesome. Nobody messes with that. Actually, in verse 7 of chapter 6, this is what King Darius, uh, or King, oh yeah, King Darius says. He goes, let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. So that's the word of King Darius there in uh, chapter 6. And then even in chapter uh, 6 and verse 17, he continues on and says that they offer. So the people have now uh, finished the temple in chapter 6. And after they finished the temple in chapter 6, this is what it said, that they offered at the dedication this house of God, 100 bulls, 200 lambs, 400 lambs, uh, and, and uh, sin offerings for all of Israel. And they offered 12 male goats to be sacrificed according to the number of tribes in Israel. And so when we get to chapter 6, by the end of it, we see that the temple is now finished, which is just incredible. They finished the temple, and then we get to chapter 7. And in chapter 7, we are introduced to a new character, character named Ezra. So keep in mind that as we begin to read and study chapter 7, the temple is now finished. And in all of its glory, which is incredible. And so I want us to go ahead and stand up. Uh, and we're going to read God's word together, but I'm just going to read verses 8 and 10 for us to start off. Verses 8 and 10. So if you look for that little number, that's the verse. So starting in verse 8, it says this. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord, and teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. So I wanted to read that to you because this is just a little bit of Ezra's introduction here in the book of Ezra. This is the first time we see him. And verses 1 to 7 is practically saying, this is who Ezra is. So it names like he's the son of the son of the son of the son which is just incredible. But what we see here is just this whole focus on Ezra and how God blessed him and why he blessed him. So what's the main idea for us this morning? I want you to write this down. God blesses obedience. God blesses obedience. And so we're actually going to continue reading a little bit more about I think that one of the ways that God blesses obedience is by giving us wisdom. And so our first point for this morning is God blesses obedience with wisdom. God blesses obedience with wisdom. And we actually see this in verses 18 to 25, and I just want to read this for us. It's a little, it's a little lengthy, but bear with me. Starting verse 18, it says this. You and your fellow Israelites may then do whatever seems best with the rest of the silver and gold in accordance with the will of your God. So right now, this is actually King Artaxerxes, another king, saying this to, to Ezra. Verse 19. Deliver to the God of Jerusalem all the articles entrusted to you for worship in the temple for your God, and anything else needed for the temple of your God that you are responsible to supply you may provide from the royal treasury. Now I, King Artaxerxes, decree 
that all the treasures of trans Euphrates are to provide with diligence whatever Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law of the God of heaven, may ask him. Up to 100 talents of silver and 100 cores of wheat and 100 baths of wine and 100 baths of olive oil and salt without limit. Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of God of heaven. Why should his wrath fall on the realm of the king and of his sons? You are also to know that you have no authority to impose taxes, tribute, or duty on any of the priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, and temple servants, or other workers at this house of God. And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God, which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of the priests, all who know the laws of your and you are to teach any who do not know them. So this right here, verses 18 to 25, you see that God does bless with wisdom. And here in chapter 7, we have this introduction of this character, Ezra. And what's interesting about Ezra is that Ezra wasn't in Jerusalem yet. Ezra was this prophet who had actually stayed back in Babylon. And I think it's safe to say that he was called by God to stay with them for these generations. There's like three or four generations that had stayed in Babylon before going to Jerusalem. And so we can honestly assume that after the temple had been uh, built in chapter 6, maybe word got out. Word got out and the people, the people of Israel got to hear, oh man, the temple's been built. Man, maybe, maybe we should go. That'd be so cool. And then you have King Artaxerxes saying, hey Ezra, you can go. You can go. And what's so interesting about just chapter 7, and especially as we've been trying to memorize verse 10, there's something to to be aware of Ezra as we look at what King Artaxerxes is telling him. In verse 10, we just we find this interesting thing that Ezra was a faithful man, he was an obedient man, he was a studious man of God's word. And the way I like to phrase that is that we saw Ezra be a man and a prophet who drew near to the Lord. He drew near to him, and I think he understood that when he drew near to the Lord, the Lord drew near to him. And I think he felt that, and he knew that, and maybe I'm just maybe I'm just curious, but in this room, maybe there's someone in here today, this morning, who has this great need to draw near to the Lord. This great need to draw near to Him. And I just want to encourage you that this morning is a beautiful moment to draw near to the Lord. If you have this great need to draw near to Him, there's no better moment to just come in close, come in near, and say, Lord, what do you have for me? And then maybe uh, this morning you're someone who says, Man, he said, I I haven't felt the presence of the Lord in a long time. I really haven't felt near to the Lord in a long, long time. Well, I mean, I'm here to encourage you, saying, you, there's, there's nobody who's too far away to not draw near to the Lord. There's nobody who thinks that they're too deep and dark of a hole that they can't draw near to the Lord. And you can still draw near, and the Lord is faithful in all of that. And I just need to, just need to tell you that when we are children of God, <coughs> God is not ashamed of us. God wants us to draw near. And then maybe you might be someone here this morning who says, and he said, I just never recognized God speaking to me. I've never really understood it meant to be drawn near to the Lord. I'm here to encourage you as well, saying the Holy Spirit works in us. And I'm just hoping that you're attentive to maybe what God is doing in your heart this morning. By saying, man, Lord, I just I've never had that experience. I've never really really felt how you draw near to me, well, maybe when you open my heart and my mind and 
So what do you have to say to me this morning? Because I believe that Jesus is, is better than our next meal or better than the dishes. Jesus is better than that. And so I think that we need Jesus in our life. And I think we see the wisdom of Ezra where he drew near to the Lord. And uh, we see that Ezra was obedient. He was faithful. He was someone who, who went to the Lord. And I think King Artaxerxes understood that. And I think he saw that. So I want to point to you verse 23. In verse 23 of chapter 7 says this. This is King Artaxerxes telling Ezra. He says, whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. This is so interesting. I think King Artaxerxes understood that Ezra had this like unique relationship with the Lord, where when the Lord prescribed it, Ezra applied it. And he, what he did is he said, okay, this is what God said, so this is what we do. And so he really trusted Ezra and said, okay, Ezra, you have an attentive ear. And you actually do what God has said. And so, man, you do whatever the Lord has prescribed. Like, I'm going to trust you with that. And it's just so interesting to see how this king, this king of Xerxes, is, is honestly being miraculously worked on by the Lord. And, and Ezra's being obedient. And, and I want to point you to this. I don't think Ezra was being obedient because he wanted some kind of like some kind of uh, favor from the Lord. He wanted some kind of promise from the Lord. I don't think I don't think Ezra's fuel to obey the Lord was out of man. I want to receive a blessing. Instead, Ezra's fuel to be obedient to the Lord was out of reverence, out of honor, out of love, out of saying, "Lord, you are deserving of my obedience because you are the holy God." You're the holy God of Israel, and this holy God is not selfish with his grace. He is selfless with his grace. He's like, I'm going to selflessly give you my grace. And Ezra understood that to be obedient to him was a way to worship him, to say, Lord, that you are above all things. And I think he honored and he feared the Lord. And doesn't, isn't that what Proverbs 9 says to us? Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So practically what Proverbs 9 is saying, which equates exactly with what Ezra is doing, is that when we understand that God is the Holy One, when we understand that He is the Almighty, we understand our place. Our place in His world, in His Word, in His ministry, in His church. We understand our place that He is awesome and we are not. Now check, like, just think about that. You are not awesome, God is. I hope that like kind of like relieves the pressure of trying to be a somebody in this life. Instead, I hope it just alleviates the pressure and says, man, I'm supposed to just glorify the Lord and say, hey, look how awesome God is. And so I can do that while I'm being obedient to him. And, and Ezra's obedience led him to be a great steward of things with wisdom. If you if you look at just at these verses, we see that he was a steward of money, of people, and even these important artifacts that would be given in order for the temple to be built. So you have this Ezra being a steward or being someone who handles things with wisdom. That's really what stewardship means, handling with wisdom and with understanding. And then I want to point to you to verse 25. This is, this is where we get just the meat of everything. Verse 25 says, And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administrate justice to all the people of training trades, all who know the laws of your God, and you are to teach any who do not know them. King Artaxerxes saw something in Ezra. He says, you possess the wisdom of God. You, you, you have the wisdom of God with you and even in you. And I think you can, 
we can maybe assume that Ezra carried with him some kind of uh, law of the Lord with him, but we can for sure know, because he's a prophet, that he had the word of the Lord in him, that he had maybe probably memorized the majority of the law of Moses. And so wherever he went, that's where the law of Moses went, where the word of the Lord went with him. And so Ezra possessed this wisdom, and I think we can possess this wisdom as well. As we obey the Lord, we can possess it. And what's just amazing to me is that Ezra had the law of Moses, and he had God speaking to him. But we have the complete and full word of the Lord. Like everything that the Lord has wanted to say to humanity is right here in our hands. And then we also have the Holy Spirit that is in us and works through us and works beyond us in a way that sometimes we just don't understand. So it's saying, Lord, give me wisdom. And so when we look at how Ezra was blessed with wisdom because of his obedience, it leads me to say, how can we do that? How can we possess this wisdom? Well, very simply, here's what I think. Here's what we see right here in, in, in the life of Ezra, is that we need to know the Bible. Plain and simple. We need to know the Bible. And I want to point to you again to Ezra 7 and 10. It says, for Ezra had devoted himself to the study. He had devoted himself to the study. He had devoted himself. And yes, he said he had set his heart to know, to study. He had set his heart to do it, to understand, okay, who am I supposed to obey? What am I supposed to obey? Because if we don't know who and what, then how are we going to do the how? How are we going to take the next step? How are we going to be able to say, okay, God, what am I supposed to do? And, and we are to understand that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And this whole word inerrant means perfect, without blemish, without defect, meaning that God's word is absolutely perfect. And here's what's amazing. All of you who have your Bibles open right now, I want you to just realize that when we open our Bibles, it's like we're opening a doorway to heaven. We're opening a doorway to say, okay, Lord, what, what do you have to say? What have you said? What does this mean for your people back then? And what does it mean for my life right now? We get to hear who God is, what he's done, what he's going to do. And what's so amazing is the Bible is not just informative, it's absolutely transformative. The Bible transforms all of who we are. It's a living word of God. The one that just is this word of God that allows us to understand the grace of God. And every time we read the Bible, it's not like we're hearing like good counsel from humanity. It's not just good counsel from humanity. You can say it's like a perfect counsel of divinity. This perfect counsel of God that's speaking into our life. And so we are to know and to study the word. And now you might be saying, okay, you said, I get it. Like, that's so cool that when we open up God's word, it's like opening up these doors of heaven. How do I? How do I really know the Bible? What does that even look like? And so I just want to give you some examples of, of my own life, if that's okay. Uh, I kind of section off my time with the Lord in three sections. I have this quantity time, this quality time, and then this teaching time. And so I just want to share that with you, and I hope this encourages you and maybe helps you understand, hey, how do I know the Bible? And so this quantity time is this moment, and I'll be honest with you, I'll wait, I wake up in the morning before work, and uh, I go to YMCA, I go play basketball for like an hour, and it's just me and like some cardio stuff. And as I'm doing that, I'm listening to the Bible, or I'm listening to a sermon, or I'm listening to a podcast that talks about something about the and so that's my quantity time. It's, it, it's almost as if the word of the Lord is just pouring over me. It's kind of pouring over me. So that's my quantity time. And then I have a quality time. 
where I spend that same morning anywhere between 30 and 40 minutes of just me and the Lord. I'm going to be just in one chapter, one passage, one verse, and I'm just having that quality time with the Lord. And what I like to say is that I don't have quiet times, I have quality times. <laughs> it's like, Lord, I want to have a quality time with you, I'm just a quiet time. And so when I, when I read the Word, I'm like, okay, God, like, who are you? What have you done? And because of who you are, what you've done, what do I need? Who do I need? And so that's that quality time with the Lord. And then because of what I do, with the, what God has ta- called me to do, there's this teaching time where it's like I'm studying the, in order to teach, in order to preach the Word. And, and maybe you're not someone who gets on stage, but I know some of you have family and friends who need to know a little bit more about who God is and what He's done and how it's been done life. You know what I mean? You with me? You with me? Yeah. All right, all right. And so that's what I do in my life, and that's the plan that I have. And so here's, here's the challenge for us. Here's, here's something I want you to write down. It's a question, and then I want you to write down an answer to it. That's my plan. So what's, what's your plan? What is your plan that you have in place to actually know the Bible? What is your plan? So I want you to take a moment to think, okay, what is my plan? What will be my my moment to have some quantity time and some quality time with the Lord. Because if we don't have a plan, then we might miss it. And so I want us to be serious about that, because when we know the Lord, we know how to live for the Lord, and that's what we're going to see later on. And so we've seen that obedience, God blesses obedience with wisdom. The next thing I want us to see is that God blesses obedience with favor. God blesses obedience with favor. Now you might be asking, what's this word favor? What does that mean? I want you to think of this. Picture this in your mind. The favor of God is almost as if the hand of God is on your back, just kind of like this. You know, I think of I think of my little brothers, and now some of them are getting kind of tall, but I remember some of them, I just be with them, and I'm just kind of have my, my hand on the back, and I'm just kind of guiding them, and we're going. When I think of the favor of God, I think of the hand of God, that's just so lovingly and kindly and graciously just guiding and moving us and saying, okay, I'm going to provide comfort. I'm going to extend grace for you. And so I want to read a couple passages, uh, really a couple verses here that really show us why and how God blesses obedience with faith. So we're still in chapter 7. I want you to look at verse 6. Verse 6. And what I want you to see is there's uh, these, these three things that are so similar in these three passages. So in verse 6 it says this, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given The king had granted him everything he asked, check us out, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Now go down to verse 8. It says, Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. Uh, actually, that's what I'm going to I meant to say... Uh, Oh, and go uh, Verse 9, actually, my bad. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month. He arrived at Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. Check this out one more time. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. So that's twice now that we see that the gracious hand of God was on Ezra. Now go all the way to verse 27. Verse 27. My to flip the page. Verse 27 says this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way. Verse 28. And who has extended his good favor to me before the king, 
and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials. Because why? The hand of the Lord my God was on me. I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. Here we see the hand of the Lord on Ezra, the favor of the Lord on Ezra. And I, and I think the hand of the Lord was on Ezra because Ezra understood that he had to draw near to the Lord, and the Lord had brought near to him. And so he was a man who was looking and saying, Lord, I need your hand in my life. And, and honestly, if we were to just look at chapter 7, we might think, it might, it might seem like whenever we have the favor of God in our life, only good things happen, or only great things happen. But you see, it's actually far from the truth. We have to actually look beyond chapter 7 to say that the hand of God, the favor of God is with us in the good and the bad. Because if we keep, if we keep reading, and uh, we will get to this part at some point, we'll see that there's this moment in Ezra's life where he's just looking at the people of Israel, and he's so frustrated that he begins to pull his hair out. He's just pulling his hair out. Well, think about it. Do you think the favor of God was away from him when he's just frustrated, he's pulling his hair out, he sees Israel's and sin? Did the favor of God leave? No. The favor of God was still there. The hand of God was still there. And, and why is that the case? Well, the case is because I think the greatest act of God's favor in our life has been Him providing eternal life for us. Him providing His word for us. Him providing a way to be saved and transformed. That is the greatest act of favor and grace that God has ever done for humanity. And what's just so interesting as well is that Ezra, I think, understands that the hand of God is on him. So in the first two passages that we read, it demonstrates, and it's like someone else is saying, the hand of God is on Ezra. But then in verse 27 and 28, it's Ezra speaking and saying, the hand of the Lord, the favor of the Lord was on me. And so the question for, for us this morning in this, in this little section is, do you know that the favor of God is on you? Have you recognized the favor of God in your life? And I hope you're encouraged as a believer and as a child of God, as someone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus, that you do. You do have the hand of God. You do have the favor of God on you because of the grace that God has extended us through Jesus. Jesus, who, man, is just so incredible that he came down to our filth and lived his perfect life. He, he, he died his perfect death. And you raise to life saying, I am perfect, I am powerful, I'm all the things that you need. I'm the greatest treasure. Put your faith in me and I'll transform you. This is the grace and the favor that we have in God. And we can live in that. We can live in saying, Lord, like no matter what, I know you're with me. And, and God, you and your rich mercy and your rich grace, you look at me and you say, hey, I love you. I'm, I'm with you. I am your treasure. Here's, here's the treasure. Man, take it, here we go. And once again, I'll, I just need to say that Jesus is better than our next meal. Jesus is better than the dead that just cake. Like, I hope, honestly, I hope that when you leave here today, you say, hey, what did you learn from the sermon? Well, I, I learned that Jesus is better than the dead just cake. Like, I hope you can't walk away with that. Because he is. Because I can do dead just cake all the time. But Jesus is better. He's perfect. He's all the things that. God's favor in our life, as we just look at the life of Ezra, and it's because of God's favor that we can live in the light and not in the darkness. It's because of the favor of God that we can live these lives that are obedient to the Lord, where He's transforming us. And think about this it was the favor of God that helped Ezra lead His people home. And I think it's the favor of God now in our lives. 
Uh, one day when we die, we know we're, we're going home. And it's the favor of God saying, and we are going home. And so here's my question just from this little section. How can we, re- how can we receive the favor of God? How can we receive the, this, this blessing from the Lord? Well, we've seen that we have to know the Bible. And the next thing that, that we learned from Ezra is that we have to live the Bible as well. We have to live the Bible. So again, I want to point you to verse 10. It says, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord. Ezra observed the law. That means he lived it out. That means he applied what the Lord had said. He observed it. He understood it. He practiced it. He applied the word of God in his everyday life, in his everyday relationships, in his everyday stewardship of things, in his everyday decisions and leadership in his life. Ezra was someone who's like, I'm going to listen and I'm going to live. And it's just incredible to see just the example of Ezra because he was even having to move a lot of people. He's like, all right, man, I have to lead a lot of people, but I'm going to depend on the Lord. I'm going to live what the Lord has allowed me to do. And so when we think about the wisdom of the Lord, we think about the favor of the Lord, man, if we don't apply those things, it's pointless. If we don't apply what the Lord God Almighty has said, it's just it's pointless. That we're being disobedient. And so how can we receive this blessing of favor in our life? I think, I think it's twofold. I think it's accepting and applying God's word. It's accepting and applying God's word in absolute obedience to him. Because it's in this, it's in this moment where we get to say, okay, Lord, I trust you in the wrong, and the good and the bad. And, and God, I know that you empower me. So think about this. You had God who was empowering Ezra, and then you had Ezra that was empowering the people of Israel. And what's so incredible is that God, through His Holy Spirit today, His Holy Spirit empowers us to live like <clears throat> He empowers us to say, man, this is what it looks like to live like me. Because, man, we need the Holy Spirit to empower us. Because if not, we just end up like the, like the world is saying that like Christians are acting. We'll end up like those Christians that, that the world is saying, man, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. Like, you say all these things, but you don't actually do all these things. And so we need the power, the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us. And, and I just love what uh, our senior pastor, Chris Wall, says. He said there's this principle that what's caught, uh, what's that saying? Uh, the caught more than taught principle, I think is the way he said it. Caught more than taught. And I was like, Chris, what does that even mean? I've never heard that. And so he told me a story. And I, and I heard himself tell the story. And I was like, hey, can I tell this in my sermon? He said, yeah. So here you have our senior pastor Chris Wall back in the day, like back back in the day, and he was a, a youth pastor, and he would teach his students all the time. And one summer he had an intern with him, and uh, this intern would like went on mission trips with him, went on different places, like heard all of his teachings, all of his teachings. And at the end of the summer, Chris sits this intern down and says, "Okay, you've heard all my teachings, you've heard all my sermons. What is like the one thing that I taught you during this whole summer?" And the intern like sat there and just thought about it. And uh, it's so funny the way Chris says it. He's, the intern was like, well, Chris, remember that one time we went on a mission trip and we stayed like in this like basketball gym and we ended up playing basketball? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The intern was like, well, yeah, you remember how you twisted your ankle? And then you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, it really impacted me that you didn't cut so you twisted your ankle. And Chris is like, wait, wait, wait. That's the one thing that impacted me this whole summer? 
after listening to all my sermons and all my teachings, what impacted you the most is it's like I didn't trust. And you're like, yeah. And it's just so interesting because I think it's so real in our life that we teach more with our actions than with our words. Now, our words are important, but how many times have you heard someone say, man, I want to speak like that person? No, no, but they say, I want to be like that person. I want to do what that person does because they're watching and our, our family's watching, our kids are watching. So then it leads us to the, to the last thing I just want us to get from Ezra. Not only do we need to know the Bible and live the Bible, but there is this reality that we do have to teach the Bible. So again, I want to point you to verse 10. It says, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord, and teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. And teaching its decrees and laws you see, whether it's formally or informally, I think we have to put the Bible into action, but also put the Bible in these moments of teaching our people. And so you might be saying, but Misa, I don't have a platform, I'm not a, not a small group leader, I don't have a platform to like, speak like you do. Can I, can I have you write this down? I want you to write down Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. I want to read this to you. This is how I want us to think about teaching the Bible, because I don't want to overcomplicate it. Here's what it says. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, this right here is telling us, hey, don't overcomplicate it, teach the Bible. Teach the Bible as you walk. Teach the Bible as you drive. Teach the Bible as you cook. Teach the Bible as you play sports. Teach the Bible as you go on through your everyday life with simple things. Teach the Bible. And the reason that's so important for us this morning is because there's this big question I think all of us need to ask, not just as parents, but as friends, as family. What legacy what legacy will you leave the people around you? So let me ask you this question. How many of you remember your great, great, great grandma? My great, great, great grandma. How about this? How many of you remember your great, great grandma? Maybe one? Okay. How about, how many of you remember your great grandma? How many of you remember your how many of you remember a mom or a guardian? You see, this question to me fascinates me because I think we don't realize many times that we're going to be forgotten in the next three generations. No one's really going to remember our names. But what are we doing today that people in 75 years will say, yeah, I don't, I don't know my great, great, Grandma and grandma's name. And I'm so glad that they taught their children or their friends the Bible. I'm so glad that they did that because that now affected today. So, what is the legacy that we are leaving? What's the legacy that whenever we're no longer here? Uh, I truly believe that that legacy that we need to leave with the people around us is the word of God. 
if the word of God will be forever, it will always be forever. The word of God will always impact us and transform us. And so I do want you to hear me say that God does bless obedience. What's your plan in knowing the word? How are you going to live out the word of God? And then, how are you going to teach me? So I want, to go, I want us to go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment. And I want you to really be in this, this moment of, of prayer and thanksgiving. Maybe there needs to be a moment where you just need to say, oh Lord, I need to be on you. Lord, I need to come to you greatly. So what I want to do is, I just want to ask you, if you're someone this morning who says, I need to draw near to the Lord, whether it's, whether it's because you're a believer and you've been walking away, or maybe it's because you're a believer and you, you feel torn up, you feel discouraged, you feel like you can't keep going. You say, Lord, I can't draw near to you. I need you. And maybe you're someone this morning who says, Yeah, I've never really felt God draw near to me. And I feel him drawing near right now, so I want to draw near. But if you're one of those people, would you be so brave to just raise your hand as everyone has their eyes closed and heads bowed? I'd love to know who I need to pray for. Who's raising your hand? Somebody said, That's me. Drawing you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful for who you are. I thank you that your word encourages us. Lord, I pray that you would put in our hearts of how we need to be obedient. Lord, I pray that you would put in our hearts a plan of action. That you would put in our hearts, Lord, and help me live for you. Lord, that you would put in our hearts someone that we need to change to say, man, you follow me as I follow Christ. And Lord, I pray so urgently that there would be individuals in this room, my family in this room, my friends in this room, that they would feel that you are drawing me to them. And that they can draw me to you. As they live in community with your word, as they study your word of God, as they open up their the doors of heaven. Lord, your hands. Jesus, amen.